0: What is up everybody? Welcome to the Halftime Snacks Podcast. This show features short interviews that you can listen during the halftime of your favorite sports events. Every Tuesday I host fun conversations with talented people in the sports industry where we'll learn from their stories, knowledge, and experiences. So go grab your favorite snack and come snack with us. Are you ready? Let's go! Today's Halftime Snack features a pioneer in the intersection of Web3 and the sports industry. He has two decades of digital content and marketing experience, and he has worked with many of the world's largest brands, such as the NBA, the New York Mets, and more. Today, he is the head of marketing and strategy at Mint. Mint is an end-to-end NFTs technologies platform for brands, sports leagues and teams that enables them to create and manage nft experiences the platform includes a customizable storefront nft viewer and wallet secondary marketplace community engagement features and more without further ado ladies and gentlemen matthew worst
1: hi ron thank you so much for that very well organized and scripted and tight introduction
0: (laughs) yeah of course matt you're absolutely uh welcome to the half time snacks how about we kick it off with maybe an icebreaker something funny something fun um if you could only eliminate okay one part of the flying experience what would you eliminate
1: well it's funny you ask because just last week was my first flight since the pandemic broke out 21 months later, and I'm someone who you know, has hundreds, thousands, I don't know, maybe even millions of miles accrued over the last 20 years, professionally, personally. And while most people hate the boarding process, I've gotten to a point now in the last week or so, having flown several times internationally, where people coughing on the airplane is it sends panic and shockwaves through my system because we're in this enclosed space. And while I know everyone is masked and now technically has to be vaccinated, the idea of just turning around and seeing someone coughing is, I mean, you can't eliminate it because people have to cough, but the death stares and the horrific looks that people have on their face when it happens, um, I get it. I, it's you never know if that person is going to be a super spreader on an airplane <laughs> or just swallowed water down the wrong pipe.
0: So,
1: if I could eliminate anything right now, it would be people coughing on the airplane.
0: <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's a great answer. I actually wasn't expecting. I thought you were going to say something along the lines of you know the boarding process or how landing and and you know the time that for for them to give you a spot on you know the tunnel and anything that takes a lot of time i was expecting that but man your answer was so much better than i expected so
1: and it applies also to people on the train if you're commuting yeah. people you may work with in an <laughs> office people at a restaurant right now there's that uh-oh why are they coughing <laughs> thought that goes through everyone's brain so
0: yeah yeah you, you're right you're right i think that um I never thought about that, but it's good, good good, good, that you now tell me. So now I'm going to figure out that next time everyone, everyone coughs, I'm going to be looking at them and be like, oh, man, Matt was, I've, Matt I'm was right. I'm the panic. <laughs> yeah, the
1: anxiety is, is real. Hopefully in the coming weeks and months that will begin to subside, but not there yet.
0: Because... Matt, I think that the, the listeners want to learn a lot about uh, your experience on the digital side of uh, sports. So let's maybe go back. Because your experience is very wide. You have over you know a couple of decades in experience in the whole digital market and uh, strategies around marketing and everything. So when exactly do you remember uh, sports brands began taking a more digital approach with their strategies? Um, do you m- mostly remember the timing or how exactly it happened?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because the path that different companies, brands, publishers, platforms, teams, and leagues have all taken have been different. They've accelerated at different paces over time, but there are some common trends that have existed and some patterns that you can probably even begin to identify going back to the early days of what I call Web 1.0. So not to give too much of a history lesson, But the early days of the Internet and Web 1.0 in the late 1990s was very much of the mindset of publishers and content creators getting their content onto the Internet and putting it out there for people to see. And at the time I was in college, I was in the university, and the early days of digital were still very slow. You were dialing up on the modem on the Internet. There was no video there was no real multimedia engagement interactivity, but there was an opportunity to see sports scores or an article before it came out in the newspaper the next morning. And that was really cool. And I think at that point, brands, teams, leagues were trying to figure out what their approach should be, but there was no job, there were no skill sets at these organizations. And when I joined first the New York Mets in the the late 1990s, early 2000, and then the NBA and the beginning of the century, the millennium, 2002-ish, the opportunity to create more engaging content, working with brands as marketers and partners and sharing information in more of a multi-directional conversation really began to evolve. And that was exciting for fans. It was exciting for consumers. But compared to what it is now, it was still really very early. We were consumers and we were creators in a very different way. And the emergence of complex databases and e-commerce and social media platforms in the mid 2000s, right, 2006, 2007, 2008 is really where that began to change. And Sports teams, leagues, and brands as marketers, sports marketers really took a a, a new path in digital and the opportunity to get information about their consumers, remarket and target them in different ways with different information in real time. I think Twitter and YouTube and Instagram really changed that model from a web one to a web 2.0 world and apps and monetization and uh, brand integration, These again, this more um, personalization at scale model didn't just change sports and didn't just change digital, but it changed the entire ecosystem of how creators and consumers interact with each other across the totality of the marketing landscape. And some of those patterns are beginning to change and evolve again as we think about Web one to Web two, and now Web two into the early stages of Web three
0: Yeah, we're going to discuss more about Web three um, in a moment. Before that, I, I I want to you know create this simple scenario in your in your mind. Let's say you you'd meet uh, Matt Worst uh, yourself, but the eighteen year old Matt Worst. You, you let's say he's he's he had a lot more hair. I can <laughs> tell you that. I would have been very jealous of. Let's say of that, but... let's say he would be sitting with us here on the on the halftime snack, um, and he would be listening to you. What would be the thing that would impress young eighteen year old Matt uh, the most about today's world of marketing, particularly in sports? What would be the thing that would shock him the most?
1: think the thing that would probably shock young Matt Worst the most is the fact that the same principles and foundation that he was learning and cutting his teeth on at the time, which was content, it was new technology, it was basic marketing and sociological principles of what gets people excited. The things that he was learning then as far as what people wanted and needed and how they wanted to express themselves and consume and engage with athletes or teams and brands, those same principles are still true. And the reason is that at the core of everything we do, there is a cultural passion that hasn't changed. We are passionate about the things that motivate us and inspire us and whether that's a great performance from an athlete, or really inspiring creativity. Those are the things that still continue to this day. So I think the fact that young Matt was curious and innovative and trying to figure stuff out then, the same questions, the same ideas are being asked and being considered now. And that hasn't changed. I don't know that I would have expected that then. I might have expected things to be totally different where the Yes, the technology itself and the platforms have clearly changed and evolved, but the core elements of content and conversation and collaboration and connection—they're all C's, which I guess is good. It's easy to remember, but they haven't changed, and that probably would would have surprised me.
0: That's super interesting in so many keywords and and avenues for further discussion, but. Um, I'm very curious, of course, with your experience and what you've seen so far, and what you've worked and and um, the the direction that uh, sports companies are starting to take. You know, given this digital transformation and this transition to Web three. Of course, we we've, we've seen uh, Dapper Labs uh, um, partnering up with the NBA and now the NFL. I actually saw, um, and you you've seen also like. Uh, different brands like uh, F1 joining Amino, uh, uh, Aminoka Brands, if I'm not wrong, that's how you say it, uh, partnering up for F1 Delta time, and yeah. written also about um, Sorar, uh, this French company that uh, joins and partners with uh, leagues uh, soccer leagues in, in Europe. So you've seen, we've seen how uh, sports brands and, and, and big sports properties they basically partner up with uh developers or people that are very experienced in you know web 3 and the blockchain and everything and they they bring in this new strategy for uh their content there and for uh marketing and reaching new 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 and different audiences how much of the, the digital content and strategy playbook for sports properties and brands will include NFTs and Web3 in the next five to 10 years? How much of that do you think will, will be part of their essence as brands and that will be used? How much, like what percentage of that will, will be used for, for those companies in five to 10 years?
1: So there's two ways to answer this. One is understanding what an NFT actually is now and can be. And then there is the what objectives from a revenue driving and engagement building set of opportunities and priorities those teams, leagues, brands, athletes, agencies themselves have. In the next five to 10 years, every single team and league go beyond it. The Budweiser's and the Pepsi's, the big Nike, they're already there and they're investing and continuing to figure out what the right approach should be. But what they're doing that's really smart is they're not investing everything all at once. They understand that this is a marathon, not a sprint. They're going to test. They're going to learn. They're going to make some mistakes. But they're going to really understand where and how the idea of an NFT as a token, as a um, as a chip, a coin, something that gives them access. It's a ticket, not a ticket to a game or an event, but a ticket to a gated community, if you will, a more high-end experience beyond just being a fan. It doesn't have to be an exclusive, very expensive entry point. I think what you'll see now is that the... Level the the barrier to entry is going to be reduced thanks to both technology and overall cost. So that there are different levels and tiers that will enable fans and collectors to enter into this space with less anxiety or fear that they're going to lose money or don't exactly understand what's happening. So I think that NFTs, as an idea for broader brand building and community engagement are it's totally going to transform everything in every way. It's not going to change the way players on the field compete with each other clearly, because that's still the core element of what it is that we are um, so in love with as fans of sports, but as a marketing enterprise, we are still in, you know, the first quarter of this game and 95 to 99% of what we're seeing now won't be the model that is ultimately being used in five to 10 years. It's going to be very different. It's going to be much more about access, utility, information, entertainment, the convergence of in real life and digital experiences. And if you want to talk about the idea of the metaverse, right, which is a term that I think a lot of people are starting to use but don't fully understand. The metaverse is the internet of the next generation. Not A number of different universes. It's one thing. And how brands and teams and leagues and fans and everybody engage in this metaverse may be a little bit different, but it's going to be connected and it's going to be more decentralized. And there are still going to be opportunities for people to make money or lose money or trade on a marketplace. But the opportunity for real engagement is going to be the next iteration of what Facebook's vision was 15 years ago to just be a more open forum for experience.
0: You know, there's there's this funny joke that they say that metaverse is just a clever way of the internet rebranding itself, right? Uh, but I agree with you that it's the whole uh, the the purpose is just how 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 we're gonna interact with each other and how we're gonna be changing the things we do there, right? Now we may be only consuming information from uh, cent- centralized companies, you know, the Facebooks, the 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 Googles, the the the, the The Twitters or whatever and then we're gonna be seeing how those things like they detach from each other in a decentralized way and then come together in the metaverse so that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting to see given this vision that you have specifically for sports um, is, is mint being developed for that vision and are you guys positioning yourselves uh, as i mentioned before i the, the first in, impression that it gives me is that what you guys are building is basically something like the shopify for nfts and 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 experiences of web3 through through your platform so that sports companies or brands don't need to you know sign up with partner up with developers in uh, like Dapper or or these companies and they can just do the, do it themselves. Is this the idea? Is this the vision? And is this what you guys are building at Mint? Or is this the first, you know, iteration and you're going to be pivoting? You know that you're going to be pivoting, but you're just adapting yourself to what you have now. Like, like, just give me a little bit of a glimpse of what exactly is the plan for Mint and how exactly do you think it will position itself in this intersection between sports companies and the, the, the web three.
1: Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack because what you're asking is both a short-term and long-term vision for an ecosystem that is going to continue to evolve, which is why our mission at Mint is to actually help both lead and drive this change as well as be able to adapt and react to it pretty quickly. So I'll tell you a little bit more about Mint, and then you can tell me whether or not our vision is leading or following, but I think it's going to be a mix. Mint is a technology platform that enables brands or teams, leagues, really anyone who is looking to use NFTs at the moment as a marketing and connective engagement experience, Uh, it enables them to seamlessly manage their NFT experiences in a truly end-to-end way. You don't have to have technical expertise. You don't really even have to understand the blockchains, which is, I think, a real benefit. You talk about Shopify and you talk about Dapper. They're actually two of our closest partners, and we are a bridge between the two. And that's where that end-to-end solution comes. So right now we are building NFTs with our brands and teams, uh, partners, on Dapper's blockchain, which is called Flow. We also have Ethereum-based capabilities, but Flow is a really great blockchain because it can be adapted for a number of different needs. It doesn't require cryptocurrency to buy, but what we help brands do is, starting with the storefront experience, we actually partner with Shopify to create the place where NFT assets, are minted on the blockchain. We do that all seamlessly and it's automated. And then on their storefront page, consumers, fans, collectors can go in with a credit card and an email address and buy the NFT. You don't need to download cryptocurrency or connect to a MetaMask wallet or transfer funds and worry about gas fees because that's still a little bit of a confusing process that has not been totally simplified yet there are brands and teams and leagues that are using that model to build their nft 1.0 world and a set of experiences but we want to create a more inclusive more accessible nft community and we've made it easy for brands to do this and that end-to-end solution includes the storefront a fully branded and customizable nft viewer or wallet for the consumer to hold onto and see all their assets in one place as well as secondary markets for the brand. So if I go in and buy a Chicago Bulls NFT from the Chicago Bulls official storefront, the NFT, I can hold onto it or I can resell it on the secondary market if I want for what's happening right now is a lot more money. Through smart contracts, the Bulls get a small percentage of every secondary sale, but they also have the ability to connect with and engage their fans who are holders of this this NFT, whether they bought it on the primary market or the secondary market, and create different types of experiences. Maybe if you hold the six NFTs that tie to the six Chicago Bulls championships, you get to come to a shoot around and watch a practice, right? So these are experiences that only the NFT holders can participate in. But our job as Mint is to be creatively agnostic, giving the teams, the brands, an opportunity to develop their own NFT ideas. The only limit is their imagination. We can do unlimited size drops. You can drop a million NFTs for $1. And because there are no gas fees, that creates a much more open, accessible community in the same way that Dapper did with NBA Topshop. The one-of-one very expensive NFTs they're fine, they get awareness for this space, but they're not bringing new people in. And that was what the initial NFT 1.0 world, the CryptoPunks and the Bored Apes, those art-based original IP NFTs were building. Most of those aren't gonna be around. That's why the next generation is much more about buying and collecting NFTs to create a more enhanced fan experience. And that's what Mint's mission is all about. The platform will evolve. Our roadmap is a five-year roadmap. But already right now, anything that you would want to do as a brand with your NFT experiences, you can do and get live within a week.
0: Yeah, what I like the most about what you're saying is that you are really keeping in mind the consumer experience and also the brand experience Sorry, when it comes to thinking about how this both stakeholders interact with each other and the process and the experience of interacting with each other because as you mentioned connecting the wallet is is a hassle and then the gas fees are a hassle and then you know trying to figure out if if it if it's not a scam is a hassle so all of these like things that are just <clears throat> just in the way are just creating friction between the users and the platforms that are not probably the most efficient ways. And that's why I think that there's just so much potential in it because you guys are thinking about how can we make their experience better, right? That's like that's the, the main idea.
1: Well, that's the whole point of marketing, right? The whole point of marketing is having a product or a service and an understanding of the consumer or the collector and the fan and communicating a value exchange. What does the brand have that the consumer or collector wants? And what is the brand trying to get out of the consumer? So there's something in it for everybody. And if we as marketers don't understand how to create technology that makes that connection and create content that communicates the value of that connection, then we're not doing our job. And that hasn't changed, right? That's what I was talking about earlier, where 18-year-old Matt Wurst would be like, I understand this. This makes sense because that value exchange is the same then as it is now. We're just talking about different assets.
0: Yeah, and and there's this this phrase about – I think it was Peter Thiel, a famous investor who said – who was arguing in his book, if you build it, will they come? Now, I want to talk about maybe about this as as one of the challenges for – Platforms that are developing these new and up-and-coming uh, solutions for specifically in sports, but also outside of sports, marketing is is uh, something that exists everywhere. How exactly do you bring these people on? How do you? How exactly do you <clears throat> make them trust you? How exactly do you um, onboard them in a very you know um, web three way that is uh, seamless and it's also like Interesting for people. How exactly, like, what when it when it when it comes to um, you you have the product right. You have the the whole experience figured out, and you have the new platform figured out. But how exactly do you bring these people over?
1: Well, that's where marketing of the NFT experience can't just begin with and end with an NFT drop, right? I think what's happening now early on is marketers and brands and teams are just thinking about, all right, well, what what do I do? They're not asking why. They're not asking what's in it for the consumer. I wouldn't venture to think that all of them are in it as just a revenue grab because for, some, for so many of these brands, the, the selling of NFTs is not going to hit their p in a significant way. But understanding that this is a broader community-building experience has to be the objective. So the approach that marketers take Using NFTs as a tool and a technology like Mint as a platform is to what I was saying think about that value exchange. So there's a strategy. What is it that we're trying to get out of? What do we know about consumers? Do they want to feel closer to the experience? Do they want to feel like they're a part of the team? Do they want to feel like they can provide input that the team is listening to, whether it's uniforms or in arena experiences or ticket sale opportunities, or uh, which players they should sign in the off season. Fans want to feel heard, but they want to feel like their community is also um, rewarding them for being an active member. So NFTs can unlock all of that. It doesn't have to just be about the art or the physical JPEG or video that is in the NFT itself. The NFT, again, is the non-fungible token. It is the access to an experience. It is the access to a community. So NFTs as a marketing tool also need to be thought of in totality of the broader marketing ecosystem. It's not just going to be about putting billboards on the stadium signage. It's not just going to be about the logo on the uniform. It's not just going to be about the sponsorship opportunities that are driving revenue and helping the brand or the team stay profitable. It's about understanding at the end of the day that the fan and the consumer is driving the success of the team. Maybe not on the field, but ultimately they go hand in hand. So it's a two sides of the same coin or the chicken and egg. You need to market your NFT you need to think about how you use existing platforms, the Web 2.0, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to engage and inform your fans about why NFTs are important and simplify it. You don't have to make it a whole complex system. And that's why I think a lot of the the, the teams are, are working with us is because we've simplified it for them so they can focus on the creative. They can focus on the message. They can deliver on the value proposition let them be creative and marketers where we just give them the tool to mint it and create it and manage the experience uh, as long as it can be simple and seamless i think we're all going to win
0: and in an ideal scenario do you think that uh, all brands in sports you know even i'm thinking even like the local you know soccer shoes uh manufacturer who sells only for their community Um, and the amateur sports you know the youth sports of the world grassroots sports of the world like those segments of of the sports industry Uh, we can also talk about fitness brands and fitness companies gyms uh, and all these different brands that evolved in the sports industry do you think that in a in an ideal scenario all of these brands are integrating into a pl- platforms like Mint, and that are tapping with or or interacting and engaging with their audiences through uh, platforms like Mint, or do you think that this is more a solution that aims to help you know the 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 Cowboys and the Lakers and the Real Madrids of the world that are mostly followed by big audiences and have. You know, access to thousands and thousands of people around the world. Like in your in your mind, in an ideal world, who uses Mint? Like in in uh, as a total market, who is using who is using Mint?
1: It's a great question because what NFTs give everyone an opportunity to do is participate and communicate. The revenue generation of NFTs really is a secondary consideration, but if you think about the different objectives and priorities of all the different tiers and levels and types of organizations that you've talked about, there really is something for everyone. It's how the NFT unlocks the marketing or communication experience. So let's start from the bottom up. If you're a high school or youth sports or even college level athlete or a team, you have a community. It could be the parents or the fans or the extended family of those athletes and they want to feel like they're able they're able to support or help out their their fans. If you're a college volleyball team right now in the United States certainly athletes have an opportunity to create and mint their own NFTs that they could sell to their friends and family, maybe not for millions of dollars like pro athletes can ultimately generate, but that becomes a booster program, a fundraiser program, an opportunity to support and share and feel like they're part of something. So that's one model that can work at scale. How many youth athletes are there around the world who are part of clubs? That's an opportunity for those club organizers, those parents and families to connect in a community space. But now you multiply that times how many hundreds of thousands of teams and athletes there are around the world if you're a 10-year-old or an 18-year-old college athlete. What's great about the Mint platform is that it really can scale as a service, as a, a software as a service solution where they can do almost all of this themselves. If they have the asset and want to create it themselves, there's no reason why they can't use the storefront technology to to make that happen. The same is true with local brands and businesses. You don't have to be Nike or Adidas to have a place in the metaverse. You can create an experience for your local community and give them access to something. So at this point, we're still so early that the innovation, around what NFTs can unlock, hasn't really even been considered yet because people are still not even sure what it is. But if you stop thinking about NFTs as an art project or a, a moment, like a sports highlight or a, a player card, a digital player card, and think about it as a key to unlocking something, then the only limit is your imagination.
0: I love it. I love I love the the metaphor, and I and I love the way you, you structure your thoughts. There's just so much clarity in, in what you speak. So that means that you know you you're very clear on where where you we're driving, Mint or where you're taking it. And I can't wait to see what's gonna happen. Uh, I can't leave this conversation, Matt, without asking you maybe a more personal question, something to get to know you more uh, more personally. What is the thing that you're most uh, grateful for?
1: I've been very blessed and very lucky throughout both my career as well as my just personal development to have a really important support structure. And a support structure people think of as their family or their coworkers and all of that is true. But a support structure uh, is involved in a much larger set of communities. Think of it as concentric circles. On the outer rim, there's... The neighborhood that you grow up in, your friends, the people who help support and build and empower you. So I think of my support structure as uh, the the thing that I am most blessed and fortunate to have had throughout my life, whether it's family, helping me understand that my goals in life are attainable, but giving me the opportunity to do it, uh, helping me through college, letting me figure out what it was that I wanted to be when I grow up, which I'm still not sure if I know the answer to, but hopefully I still have some time to figure it out uh, because it'll probably change a little bit, even as I get older. But now the real opportunity that I'm most grateful for in this support structure is an even broader digital ecosystem of fans of technology of creators who are coming together and really embracing this notion of collaboration and figuring stuff out together. It's a very judgment-free space that I've found myself in, and that gives me the ability to develop my own skills, some hard skills, some soft skills. I think of myself as very right brain but also very left brain seeing a big idea and then having the freedom and flexibility to go get it done, figure out how to make it happen. And that doesn't happen in companies or environments that are rigid or too structured that don't allow for innovation to break. I always like to say I'm someone who asks for forgiveness, not for permission. And what I'm most grateful for is all of the forgiveness that I have been given throughout my life for the boundaries that I have pushed past without necessarily asking for permission.
0: Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoy this episode, hit the subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy learning about the business and technology behind sports, make sure you subscribe to the Sports Tech Biz newsletter. I'll leave the link in the show notes. See you all next week. Bye
1: bye.